Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Psalms 91, and we're going to begin at verse 14. But before I do, let me just reiterate a few points I made last week concerning worship of the Father. Worshiping the Father God. As I said, I'll be teaching along these lines. We're going to hit it from a different angle tonight, but I believe that as we touch these different areas and, and, and sides of the mountain concerning this subject of worship and praise, we as a people will begin to enter into a deeper realm when it comes to worshiping the Father God in spirit and in truth. And that's what our objective is. So we're going to look at verse 14. But first of all, let me explain again some of the things that I said last week concerning worship. From the Hebrew word we found that worship actually means to bow down, to bow down or to prostrate oneself before the Lord in reverence, of course, or honor and respect of either royalty or deity. And, of course, in this case, we're talking about deity. And we said from the Greek, the Greek, we have the, the word worship defined as being to do reverence to, to stand in awe of, or to adore, or to deeply love, to deeply love. Adoration, deeply love, affection, to set your love and affection upon the Lord. And we concluded that true worship then entails more than just the singing of songs. It involves the entire makeup of the worshiper. It involves his devotion, his love and affection, the giving of the total self. In worship of God, adoring Him, setting your love upon Him, consecrating yourself unto Him. It involves all this. It's not just singing songs or going through an act of worship. It's not even just bowing down before Him. It's not just singing a song unto Him. It involves the entire makeup of the human being, his spirit, soul, and body. In these scriptures, we found the benefits of being a person who truly worships the Father in spirit and truth. And in verse 14, it says, Because he hath set his love upon me. Underline that portion. Also, Notice the place where it says, I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Notice, because he hath known my name. Underline, because he hath known my name. Because he hath set his love upon me. Also, because he hath known my, known my name. And then in verse 15, he shall call upon me. Those three things. Because we place our love upon him. Because we know his name. And because we call upon him. Now, this implies a lot of different things. And first of all, because we have set our complete devotion, affection, consecration upon Him. In other words, because we love Him with every part of our being, in spirit, with our emotions, with our will, with our desires. 
and also because we throw our entire self into the worship of God or the service of God. Also because we know His name, we've taken the time to educate ourselves in spirit and soul. We have searched the Scriptures over and over and we found out the name of the Lord, the names of the Lord and, and all that they mean. So we can see he's talking about somebody who is totally sold out, dedicated, devoted, one who deeply loves God, who adores Him, who reverences Him, who stands in awe of Him, who is so motivated because of the godly reverential fear that he has, that she has for God to, to get into the Word of God and find out His name and His different names as He has revealed Himself in the Scriptures. And because of that, of course, he goes on to say that He shall call upon me. And that implies faith. You don't call upon somebody that you don't have faith in. You don't do that. If you want somebody to help you when you're in trouble, you're going to call upon somebody who you know can help you. And so we see that this is a person who has also developed trust or faith and confidence in this living God that he loves so dearly, that she loves so dearly, that he, he has devoted his life to. And so we see here complete love, devotion, and affection being set upon him. We see here... One, expending energy and effort looking into the Word of God to discover the names of the Lord, to know Him personally, to know Him intimately, to gain revelation, insight, knowledge, and understanding of who He is, what He stands for, what He has done, and then developing trust, confidence in Him because we trust in Him. We have learned to commit our way to Him and also then to trust in Him, knowing we can call upon Him because He is a faithful God who will hear us, who will answer us, who will deliver us from our trouble. Now notice because of these three things, He goes on to say that this is what I'll do. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer him, be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. In long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Write these down. These are the benefits of becoming a true worshiper of God. Deliverance. Exaltation. He will exalt you. Answers to prayer. He will answer you. Stand by you. He'll be by your side or with you. He will honor you. He will satisfy you. And also, He will cause us to see. That's what show means. He will cause us to see or make to us a reality. His salvation. He's going to make His salvation a reality to us. That's what He's going to do. So all those different things are results, are the results of are becoming true worshipers of God. So you can see this entails a whole lot more than just singing some songs Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. It involves a whole lot more than that. Now, if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of, of John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. And we want to look over some things that Jesus said regarding worship of the Father. Worshiping the Father. In John chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. And also, to save some time, why don't you also find 2 Kings chapter 17 and put your bookmarker there and then we'll turn to it. Also, 2 Kings chapter 17. It's right after 1 Kings. Simple to find. Amen. Beginning at verse 
19, John's Gospel, chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh who is called Christ when He is come. He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. So this instructional teaching is not coming just from a prophet. It's coming from the Son of the living God. Before I get into all the details that I want to share with you, go on back with me to 2 Kings chapter 17, and let's give some background knowledge. You can hold your place there if you want. We'll go back to it. In 2 Kings chapter 17, first of all, let's get some background knowledge concerning the Samaritans. See, she was a Samaritan. And as you know, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with them at all. Well, why? Well, we'll see here. And it'll help us to better understand her question. And, of course, then Jesus' answer to the question. First of all, it's important for us to know that when she said this mountain, she was talking about Mount Gerizim. And when Jesus said Jer Jerusalem, he's talking about Mount Moriah, where they had built Solomon's temple. And so the Samaritans then at that particular time that Jesus was talking to her, they were worshiping up there in or upon Mount Gerizim. And the Jews, they were over there, they were worshiping on Mount Moriah where the temple was built. And of course she had this question knowing that he was a prophet. She figures I'm going to get my answer to my question because I perceive that he is a prophet. He should know. Maybe she was like so many are today. Why do we worship God this way? Why do they worship God that way? Who was right? Who was wrong? She didn't know. She was just going with the flow. Well, we can find out some details here that will help us to understand how we can be a better worshiper of God. First of all, you'll notice, we're going to look at verse 24. But to give you again some information, first of all, Israel rejected at this time the commandments of the Lord. They were not walking in His statutes. They were not keeping His word. They were not walking in light of the law that they had been given. They were be, being a rebellious people. Consequently, the Lord Jehovah rejected them. He told them to straighten up their act. He told them to set their houses in order. He told them to do the right thing. He would be with them, but they refused. They were given over to false worship. They were given over to fulfilling the lusts of their flesh. They were not given over to the commandments and the statutes of Jehovah. And so, of course, he was upset with them. And actually, he, actually, he, he was the one that says, I'm just going to drive you out of the land of your inheritance. See, Samaria belonged to them. I mean, that was part of their land. Jehovah God was the God of, of, of Samaria. There's no question about that. 
So we see Jeroboam becoming the king here. And they followed the ways of Jeroboam. They continued in their sin. And they disregarded the commandments of the Lord. So the Lord rejected them and gave them over to the Assyrians. The king of Assyria then removed all the Israelites from the land of Samaria, all the cities of Samaria. What he did next was he began to repopulate the cities of Samaria with others. Men from different cities. From Babylon. You can see here at verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there. And this is actually the beginning of the New Testament Samarians. This is the actual beginning of the New Testament Samarians that Jesus was talking to there in John 4. They were not Israelites. People from Babylon and all these other cities. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. They had no respect. They didn't honor Jehovah God. They didn't know how to serve Him. They didn't know how to worship Him. They had no honor for Him. They had no respect for Him. They did not stand in awe of Him. They had their own gods. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Of course, this being an act of judgment, because Jehovah was the God of the land. And He knew at least the colonists would be aware of the fact that the lions coming in to kill them and take their lives was an act of judgment that came from the God of the land. And, of course, then they would be fearful of that and have respect for the God of the land, whoever he was. Wherefore, they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, in verse 26, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, now notice this, know not the manner of the God of the land. They know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore, he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because again, they know not the manner of the God of the land. They didn't know the manner of the God of the land. They didn't know the ways of the God of the land. They didn't have the statutes of the God of the land. They didn't have the commandments of the God of the land. They didn't understand any of these things. So they just did their own thing there, but they were in the land of Jehovah. He didn't like it, and so... These lions came and they began to die. And verse 27 goes on to tell us what happened. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom you brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. So we see here that he recognized that if these people were going to be delivered or free from this curse, then he would have to send one of the priests, the Israeli priests, to go down there and begin to instruct these people in the ways of God. So they, they would know how to please Him. And, of course, the lions would be stayed. And they would be free. They wouldn't be destroyed. Well, then one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. See, if people don't know, 
They just don't know. And they did not know the way of the Lord. So this priest comes along. He teaches them the manner or the ways of the Lord God. He stays with them and instructs them. And, of course, they think everything's going to be okay. And for a time, we can see what happened. Maybe for a time it was because the lions went away. But let's read on. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And it goes on in those next verses to talk about how each one of them brought with them their own false gods, their own images, and continued the practice of worshiping them in the manner that they did before they came there. In here, in the next verse, the men of Babylon made Succoth Beneth, and the men of Cuth made Nurgle. And it goes on. Let me explain first of all. The Babylonians, what they did, that the interpretation of, of, of that statement there is they made themselves places where the daughters would go and perform sexual acts for the goddess of Babylon. And, of course, the men would come in and they would be participating in these sexual acts, supposedly worshiping their God. Now, it's amazing that you, it's not a problem to get men to go and worship that God because it involved sexual activity that they enjoyed. And so they had motivation to go there and worship their false God. These others then set up places where they began to offer up their children to their God as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, to burn them up and offer them up to God. Their God, their false God. And this practice continued. And as you read on, go on down to verse 33, or verse 32. So they feared the Lord. Now, wait a minute. They listened to the priest. They were taught the ways of the Lord. And to some degree, they feared the Lord, but notice this. They still made to themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places with sacrifice for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. In other words, they responded to His teachings, but they still served their own gods. They feared the Lord, but did not have enough respect for Him, did not honor Him enough to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, to do His, his commandments. So, they had a small amount of fear for God. And that was it. The fear that they had did not motivate them to do service for God. They may have offered up some sacrifices or had some rituals going on, but not enough to satisfy Jehovah God. And as you read right on all the way through, it just confirms the same thing. Uh, verse 34, Under this they do after the former manners, they fear not the Lord. And so we see here, that although they felt they feared the Lord because they were doing certain things to satisfy Him, the God of the land, in reality they did not fear the Lord because that fear did not motivate them to change their lifestyles. They enjoyed doing what they were doing. It was their practice beforehand and they continued that practice right there in the land that belonged to the Lord. Well... Time went on, these Samaritans, what they did was 
they found out, I guess, that their lives were not being fulfilled. Their desires were not being met. Or for whatever other reason, they came around. And when the people of Israel were beginning to rebuild the temple, Solomon's temple there on Mount Moriah, they said, we want to help you because we want to convert now over to Judaism and follow the way of the Lord. Well, at this time, the Jews said, look, we don't want to have anything to do with you people. You're from different nationalities and different backgrounds and different religious practices. They consider them half breeze. They don't want to have anything to do with them. You're not going to help us build the temple. See, God was concerned about them, but the Jews didn't. They weren't concerned about world evangelism. They were just concerned about themselves and doing things their own way. Here was an opportunity to, to, to introduce them fully into the ways of the Lord and get them to be converted and follow Jehovah as God wanted them to. He wanted all people to come and love Him and serve Him. But they didn't want to have anything to do with them. They wouldn't have no part of it. So what they were forced to do then, instead of joining in with the Israelites to build that temple, to rebuild it, they went ahead on Mount Gerizim, which was the Mount of Blessing, and they built their own temple unto Jehovah. They took the Pentateuch and they used it, but they changed some of the Hebrew meanings, important ones. And they began to serve God and worship God the way they wanted to there on Mount Gerizim. And they said, we're the ones who are doing it right. We're worshiping God as God should be worshipped. And the Jews said, no. We have the law of Moses We've been following the instructional teaching that God gave Moses right to a T, right to the letter. This is where we are to worship. And the Samaritan said, no, this is where we are to worship. Mount Gerizim. And they said, no, Mount Moriah. As we have had the revelation that came from God. And so there was friction. There was division. They had no dealings with them. They were prejudiced. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so all of a sudden, Jesus meets this here woman. Now, going back to John 4, Jesus meets this woman. He begins to talk to her. And really, they were, why should he? Should have no dealings with them. They're taboo. Stay away from them. But Jesus begins to expose her, her life, certain things about her life. And so she gets to the place where she recognizes this man is a prophet of God. Now, it concerns me as to why the Jews worship up there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah and why we, we worship over here on Mount Gerizim. And so now, who's right? Verse 19 again. Who's right? Who's wrong? How should we be doing it? She says, I perceive, sir, that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. You referring to the Jews. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, these are very important statements, beloved. Take note. The time cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, speaking of Mount Gerizim, neither in Jerusalem there, Mount Moriah, in the temple that Solomon built, Neither place. Are you going to worship the Father? Next statement. 
Ye worship, ye know not what. In other words, you don't even know God. Now, you think about that. We hear so many saying today, I'll worship God in my own way. I believe in God, I believe in a deity, and I will worship Him in my own way. I have a way, and you have a way, and that's okay. Let's just worship God in our own way, and we're all going to be okay. Well, is that the truth? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, ye worship, ye know not what. Now, you think about it. All the sacrifices taking place there on Mount Gerizim, all the acts of worship... All that they're doing supposedly to please the God of the Pentateuch, the God that they've read about, and they want to please Him, they want to worship Him, and they want to do what is right, and it's all to no avail. It's all for nothing. It's meaningless. It has no purpose. You don't even know God. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. In other words, you people are not aware of the fact. Now, remember their background from all these different cities coming together, being taught the ways of the Lord, rejecting the ways of the Lord fully, not wanting to walk in His statutes or keep His judgments. They had some fear and regard for Him, but that was just a little bit, not enough to motivate them or to move them to give up their false idols and false worship and all that and to serve God wholly. Fine, they want to come around, they want to do what is right, but yet the Jews said, look, we can't trust you. You're not of us. Look, you come from different na nations and backgrounds and religious practices and all that. We don't want anything to do with you. They failed to realize that, yes, there is one God, but this one God has revealed a plan of salvation that He was going to set in motion in the earth through the people of Israel. Jesus was saying, you have to understand that salvation is of the Jews. God, in, in times past, yes, spoke to the prophets, the patriarchs of old. He gave them the way of salvation, and He continued giving the plan of salvation right on through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, the nation, the people of God, through Moses, the Mosaic Law. He was, he was going through them to reveal in the earth His plan of salvation. God has a way, and you don't know anything about it. You don't understand it. If you understood it, you'd be seeking the proper way. But you don't know anything about it. You can't get back to God any other way. And so he says, we know what we're worshiping because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh in verse 23 and now is when the true worshipers, everyone say true worshipers. Underline that. If you haven't underlined, then highlight it or circle it in your Bible. True worshipers. And this is Jesus speaking once again. True worshipers. See, God had a purpose. That purpose was not totally fulfilled under the Mosaic Law. They were not fulfilling it there in Samaria, on Mount Gerizim or on Mount Moriah. It was not being fulfilled. God had a purpose. He wanted to get us to a place where we would become true worshipers of God upon this earth. It hadn't happened yet, but now the hour has come. In the timetable of God upon the earth and His dealings with mankind, the time has now come upon the earth that there will be true worshipers of God. The true worshipers of God shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. 
He has been searching the world over. He has been waiting for this time to come. He desires true worship. He desires for people to set their love and affection upon Him. He desires for people to have adoration for Him. He desires for people to respect Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, to glorify Him, to magnify Him, to exalt Him as the only true and living God that He is. But He wants them to do it as they are motivated by love from their hearts for Him, not fear, because if not, He'll destroy them. He doesn't want that. So Jesus said, God the Father is looking for true worshipers. And the word there for worshiper is the same word we said in the Greek. Those who adore Him. Those who deeply love Him. Those who set their affection upon Him. They place it upon Him. He is looking for them. They're not found on Mount Gerizim. They're not going to be found over there on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. I'll explain spirit and truth in a minute. But he goes on to say to her, God is a spirit. In other words, he is not the sun. God is not the moon. He's not the stars above. He is not an image of wood or of stone or of metal. He is not the air or the wind. He is not a force and energy. He is not a beast. He is not an animal. He is not even a man. He's not the universal mind of man, like so many think. God's one big mind. He tells her, look, God is a spirit. God is a spirit being. He has a soul. He has a spirit body. God is a spirit being. People everywhere are bowing down to the sun, the moon, the stars. They are worshiping images made of wood and of stone and of metal. They make animals. Some worship animals and all these other things. They think he's an energy force moving around the earth. But that's not who God is. That's not what God is. He's not an impersonal being. He is a spirit being. And those who worship Him, everybody say must. must. Say it again, must. must. God is a spirit and they that worship Him, underline that, underscore it, circle it, highlight it, must. Everybody say it again, must. Must what, Lord? Must worship him, he's changing the order of worship. It's not going to be any more of this bowing down on your knees like they did to royalty and homage. I mean, they just put their heads right under the ground. If the king walked by in respect to royalty, it's not going to be a people somewhere worshiping some image somewhere, bowing down and prostrating himself or herself and doing all those things. It's not going to be deifying the body of a woman and offering up to a sex goddess all these different impure acts, sexual acts. That's not what it is. That's not what God's all about. You know not what you worship. God is a spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now, what does that mean? 
There was coming a time, Jesus was saying, when the Spirit of man, man was made in the likeness and the image of the living God, when the Spirit of man would have imparted to his Spirit the very life and the nature of the living God. There would be coming a time when the Spirit of man would become a partaker of the character of God, the very being of God. There would be a union that would take place in the Spirit of a man. That would cause change to take place in that person's life. He then would be alive unto God and be able to contact God who is a spirit with his spirit and have communion with him and fellowship with him and interaction with him in intimacy, in an intimate way. When he said that we must worship him in spirit, he is referring to the total self. And I like to say it this way. When Jesus said that man would worship God in spirit, he meant the giving of the total self of man for the total duration of his life upon this earth in worshiping God by setting his love, his devotion, his affection, his desires in everything within his being to demonstrate or to show forth that love for him. The total giving of the total self in his spirit, in his soul, in his physical body. There becoming a time when man's spirit would be so electrified with the life and the nature and the love and the character of God that this man's life would be so changed from within, he would know God, he would know love, he would see God's creation with different eyes. These eyes would be of love and compassion. I mean, the, the, the created things of the world would be different. Animals would look different. Trees would look different. Flowers would look different. Everything he comes into contact would look different. Human beings would look different. He'd be changed and would all be because of his union with God. And he would be moved by God, motivated by him, by this union with him, to set his total love and affection upon his creator God, his father God. Just as it is a natural thing for a child to love his or her parents. Totally. There's coming a time, he is saying, when there would be giving of the total self in spirit, soul, and body for total, the total duration of one's life upon this earth in loving God. Now, you ready for it? By doing this, by walking in the revelation of attested truth that has been revealed to us by God through the holy prophets, the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and the revelation of this truth, the word of God. Do you remember they feared God, but they were not motivated or moved enough to walk in His statutes, to keep His judgments and His commandments. You know what that was saying? They weren't throwing their whole being into it. And you know, you can't blame them too much because their spirits weren't alive unto God. But you see, it's different in the day in which we live. Our spirits are alive unto God. And I believe that if a new birth really takes place, beloved, there has to be some activity inside your spirit. If there is no activity inside your spirit toward God, I have to say, I question your experience. 
If a person has been born of God, there has to be something from within that moves him to want to love and serve God and study His Word. There is some activity that takes place inside because of a birth process. It's like a natural birth process. That child loves his, her parents. Do you see that? And Jesus is saying, this time is coming. It's at hand right now. Man's spirit life will be changed. There will be a giving of the total self from the innermost part of a man's being right on through his soul, his will, his emotion, his desires, all the energies of his spirit, his soul, and his physical body toward the pursuit of truth, the revelation of God's attested truth so that he can live his life to please his Creator and Father God, the one that gave birth to him. Or her. For God is a spirit. So this, we could say, implies the giving of one's total self, his life, his will, his emotions, his desires, his affections and energies of spirit, soul and body to pursue the revelation of truth so that we can live a life that is well-pleasing to our Father God. That's what he's saying here. Sometimes we say, what does he mean to worship in spirit and in truth? That's what he means. He's not talking about this. Father, we love you and we bless you today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, now I'm going to go and do my thing. See, I worshiped you today, Father. Aren't you thankful for that? Now I'm going to go beat my wife. Go out and get drunk. But tomorrow morning I'll be right here before you again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. I thank you. I'm born again to have eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank you, dear Father God. Now I'm going to go chew out my boss, curse at him and everything else. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. That's not what he's talking about. See, we have in the body of Christ. I'm going to say it this way. The body of Christ right now reflects worship in the body of Christ reflects the attitude that Christians have towards Christianity today. It really does. You can see it in worship. You can see it in where It reflects the image of Christianity. Our worship reflects the image that we have of Christianity. It's just like this, the people there in Samaria. People, but they're born again. They come from different nationalities, different nations, different backgrounds, different religious practices and rituals and, and all that. But Jesus is saying God's not going to be worshipped that, that way anymore. Rituals and, and, and performances of, of ritualistic practices and all that sort of thing. God's not going to be worshipped that way anymore. That's not the way. Just bowing down and going through certain ceremonial rites and all that. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not going to be that way anymore. That's going to be done away with. There's going to be a different way that God will be worshipped. It involves His spirit, His soul, His body, His entire being. The total giving of the total self for the duration of one's total life here upon this earth in the pursuit of the revelation of God's attested truth and living a lifestyle that supports His belief in a living God. That's what He's talking about right here. Not just walking into a temple somewhere, fatigued by the journey up the mountain on the hill, then getting in there, so bodily fatigued that you can hardly do anything, but you've got to go to the ceremonial rites and do this and that and all these other things to please God. And once you do, you get out there and go and commit adultery and fornication. No. These people came from different nations and different backgrounds and different religious practices. And they came together, had somewhat of the fear of God, but they are not motivated or moved to living according to the truth. And beloved, 
I see that in Christianity today. Where people will come in with different backgrounds, with different beliefs. Thinking that now that I'm born again, it's okay if I continue in homosexuality. I'll worship and serve God because it's the same God through Jesus Christ. I'll continue in lesbianism. I'll continue in going back to my religious practices from once I was delivered, supposedly, and continue in, in that vein. I, I'm in now, I'm saved, and thank God that I am saved, but I'm going to go back to all these other things and, and still incorporate these things into my And do you know why that is today, beloved? People are being saved by the droves today like never before, but you know what? Just like they did there in Samaria, they brought in with them their past religious practices... And thought that now that I'm saved, it's all okay. It doesn't matter. They know not the, the ways or the manner of God. They have not been taught or, or have they learned as of yet the ways of God. We have almost presented today that it doesn't matter. Come on into Jesus and be saved. And everything's okay. You're in the land now. But you know what, beloved? Now that we're in the land, we are under solemn obligation, responsibility to learn the ways of God. It troubles my spirit when I see people supposedly accepting the Lord, but not doing anything to expend any type of energy to find out the way of the Lord. The new birth is the beginning. It's the open door into, into the way of God. But that's all it is, is the open door. And you're in there like a brand new born baby in a brand new land, and you know not the God of the land. You've been born of the God of the land, but you don't know the God of the land. And so we have got to let people know it's not that way. God has a list of commandments, all headed up in the commandment of love, but it does not exclude those ten commandments that say thou shalt not. We don't want to give a list of do's and don'ts, but you know what, beloved? What, what will we do when people refuse to find out that they must live their lives according to what thus saith the Lord? Jehovah God, our Father. He wants us to, to be a true worshiper by worshiping with our, Him with our lives, our lifestyle, from the inward man all the way to the outward man. You say, what does this all entail and involve? Look at Romans chapter 12. Individually, me, the person. Everybody say me. me. Myself. I. That's the one we should be speaking for, right? Ourselves. I want to be a true worshiper of God. I want, I am a true worshiper of God. But a true worshiper of God is one who expends all of his energy in spirit and soul and in body to do what? To learn the revelation of God's attested truth and then begins to walk in it. Notice verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. A new mode of worship. A new mode of worship. A new mode of worship. Not on Mount Gerizim, not on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, a new mode of worship, not in bodily fatigue by climbing these mountains and standing before God, going through a ritualist ceremony and a, fo and a form of, of worship. No, something has happened. We've been born again. Now I must, as an individual, present my body members to God as only I can today to Him and say, Father, I give my body to You. 
as a living sacrifice, that it may be dead upon the earth. I mortify the deeds of my body upon the earth. I'll not be given over unto that which is unclean. I'll not uh, taste or touch the unclean thing. I will walk holy before you. I give you my life's devotion. I give you my body. It is a vessel of honor, not dishonor. No, it is your dwelling place. You no longer live in that temple over there on Mount Moriah. You live inside me right now. And I give you my heart's devotion. And I will demonstrate that act to you by coming before you on a day-by-day basis. As Paul says, I die daily in my worship of God. If not, my spiritual man will resurrect. It will rise up big. It will lead me into sin and rebellion. I'll not serve God. I'll not walk in the ways of God. I'll not keep His statutes and judgment. I myself might become a castaway. I don't want to give in to the lust of the flesh, he is saying. And so you see, I, I keep myself dead in phys- my physical body. I mortify the deeds of my body upon the earth because I present myself to God this day. My body will not be used for sin, is what he's saying. When it comes to self, that's part of it. Notice it involves the body. Notice also in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I worship God with my soul? I pursue truth. I give all my energies. I expend my energy and effort in doing what? In finding out what thus saith the Lord. How do I love Him with my intellect? How do I love Him with my will and emotions? I set my love upon Him by saying, Father, not my will be done, but Thine be done. And so many say, well, I don't know what the will of the Lord is for my life. You know why? They've not read the manual. They've not read the book. And no one can do it for us. We've got to do it for ourselves. We've not given ourselves over to the study of God's Word. We've not taken it as serious as we should. So many have not. And so they continue in past practices that they brought in from their formal religious days. Their former religious days. When they did not know the way of God. And beloved, there's no excuse for born again believers after five, ten years not knowing the way of God. Do you agree with that? We have got more at our fingertips right now than the world has ever had before. We've got more offered to us right now than the world has ever seen before. We've got aids and helps and ways to be assisted to know the truth that makes us free. But yet many don't avail themselves to it. We are a spoiled people in this nation. The believers are spoiled people in this nation, beloved. We should be spiritual giants in the land. More so than any country upon this earth. We should be because we have opportunity like they don't have. And when I see believers not giving themselves over to the study of God and not knowing the way of God, do we pat them on the back and say, that's okay? Beloved, listen. Jehovah God didn't pat them on the back. No. No. He said, you've got to know my ways. He expects us to know His ways. So we see spirit, soul, body. And we can only do it for ourselves, beloved. What is a true worshiper? One who gives himself in spirit. One who gives himself in soul. To align himself with the will of God. His desires are toward God. His affection is upon God. His love is deep for God. Deep-seated. And he sets his love upon him. He pursues him. He seeks him. He wants to find out his word, his way, his will, so he can walk in it and satisfy him and please him because he is his creator and father God. And he applies himself in service to God with his body. He does not yield his bodily members over unto sin, unrighteousness, and iniquity. He gives it over to God for his, for his glory and honor upon the earth. He glorifies him in his body upon this earth because it belongs unto him. He knows it's bought with a price. There's no reason why anyone should not know these things from the word of God. If we don't, then we're not becoming true worshipers of God as he wants us to be. We are not worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Look at me in in Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. 
in Ephesians chapter 5. What else does it include? Beloved, I cannot hold back. What God's Word teaches is, and what it says is so. It begins with self. Me, myself, and I. And this is what I must do to become a true worshiper of God. Not with songs of praise only. Not with uplifted hands only. But with a life of dedication. With a life of devotion. With a life of consecration. With a life that pursues in my intellect, will, and emotions the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, the truth of God. That I may live my life by it. That I may be governed in my life by the word of the living God. That He may govern my actions. That He may change my character. He may move inside me until I decrease. He increases and He lives His big life through me. I am changed day by day from glory to glory. Even to His image, His likeness upon this earth. That I am emptied of self and filled with and full of God. The true worshiper of God. You'll notice in this book called the book of Ephesians, you'll find three things. It tells us where we sit. It, it tells us where we, where we stand. And it tells us where we walk. It tells, he starts out by telling believer, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It is our position in Christ. That's where we are seated. He goes on to say, there is a walk of the believer. And I'll hold that for last. But then at the end he says, finally, there is a stand that you have to take against the wiles of the devil. We are seated with him. We must take a stand against the wiles of the devil. But in between all that, he tells us where we are to walk or to pursue a certain lifestyle. Now that we've talked about the true worshiper of God who worships Him with His spirit, soul, and body by sending His love and affection upon Him in, 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 in total service to God, then it goes on to say, your walk should be in love. And he says this, you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We are a true worshiper of God as we begin to practice the Word of God as it is revealed to us in the Scriptures concerning relationships. So that means socially. And it starts right here with our husband and wife relationship. In verse 25, verse 21 rather, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. The what of God? Everybody say fear of God. Fear of God. Reverence for God. Respect. Respect. Honor. Adoration, worship, in worship of God. That's what this is saying. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Did you know that? It is the principal part of wisdom. See, one who worships God then, one who, who truly seeks Him to worship Him in spirit and truth, is one then who will know. Beloved, we don't need more seminars on marital relationships. You can go to 5,000 of them and never change. You know what we need? Mark it down because this is what we need. More of the fear of God. That's what we need. In this day, we need more of the fear of God. People need to have more respect and reverence and honor for God to be motivated to serve Him, to do His word as He has so stated in Scripture. He made the marital relationship. He ordained and instituted the, the holy relation of marriage Himself because it's a part of His plan. And you know what? We do not have the right to change what He has put together. And look what it says. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God or reverence, of, reverence for God, the fear of God, the worship of God. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body, as the church is subject to Christ. So let wives be their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. So in other words, a true worshiper of God opens up his Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. He finds out that the Bible says, and listen, this is a new revelation. 
These people didn't understand this kind of teaching. He's not reminding them of something. Here we have a group of people who practice in their murder relationship things that were practiced in times past. I mean, they were ruling over their wives with an iron hand. I mean, they heard nothing about this kind of a a relationship between a husband and wife. Right on down through the ages, man was the one who was in control. She was underneath his feet. And that's all there was to it. If she wanted to ask anything, let her ask at home. And all these different things. We know how it was back then. I mean, there were prayers that the Jews prayed. They said, oh, dear Lord, I thank you that I'm not a publican. I think I'm not a heathen. And I thank you I'm not a woman. That's it. That's how they prayed. I think I'm not a woman. They are lower, lesser class people. Thank God I've been born a male. Chauvinism, and you talk about anything you want. It was all there. It existed. And when Paul came along and said, look, I'm giving you new instruction, and I'm sharing with you something that God demands and expects of you. Submit yourselves. As you are, as Christ is submitted to the Father, you submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God, in reverence for God. Beloved, there are more divorces taking place in the body of Christ today than ever before because the people are not true worshipers of God. And His truth doesn't mean a whole lot to them. He said, that's pretty hard. Beloved, there's no other way to say it. I said, there's no other way to say it. Someone must speak out. And, and the word of the Lord must be heard. We thank God He's forgiving and everybody says, and we thank God for His mercy. Can I share some things with you? Do you, you have some time to stick around tonight? Okay. Listen. There are certain things that we can do if we ignore truth that will cause us to experience devastation in life that will never be changed, that we'll have to live with throughout the length of our days upon this earth that God Himself won't even be able to change. Did you know that? I said, did you know that? How many of you believe in divine healing and health? That God heals? Well, here's a certain man who married a woman and in the process of time began to have marital problems. Consequently, he couldn't tolerate the pressure of circumstances and just went ahead and sinned and and got drunk and, and just had a pity party. How many of you know that God doesn't want us getting drunk and doing things like that? How many know that? Do you know that? I mean... I mean, I have to ask, because sometimes people think that's okay in the world in which we live today. But how many know that God does not really like that? He doesn't want that. That's sin. It's a, okay. So the man was living in sin and, and, and walked away from God, even though he felt he had a, a reason for it, but he knew it was wrong. After he got drunk at the bar, he got back into his car and he went down, for, down the road in his car, got in a wreck, damaged his leg terribly, and the doctors had to amputate some of it. How many believe in forgiveness and mercy? How many of you know that God forgave him when he asked him? How many of you know that he's going to go through the rest of his life without a part of his leg? Do you know that? And why? Because of sin. And you know what his statement was afterward? All these problems because of this marital relationship. And I knew in my heart I shouldn't have married her before I married her. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, people think that God has magical ways to get us out of trouble. Beloved, our life is a combination of the two things, the spiritual and the natural. He is our senior partner in life, and if we don't listen to His Spirit, we can cause things to happen in our lives that will cause damage and devastation to our lives 
that cannot be changed. And we'll have to live with those things for the rest of our lives upon this earth. Had that man never sinned in the first place, and did you hear that word? Sinned by marrying someone that he shouldn't have, he wouldn't have been where he was at. Secondly, had he not sinned then by going off and getting drunk, he wouldn't have been in his car drunk, gotten a wreck, and lost his leg. True? Can you say amen to that? Now he's in a position, either he's going to have some kind of faith, if he can believe God for a creative miracle, but did you know this? In some cases, God's not obligated to honor that. When something happens as a result of sin, did you know that? What about David? Was his boy resurrected from the dead? When David asked for forgiveness, did he ask for forgiveness? Did God forgive him? Was his life spared? Yes. But was there permanent damage? Yes. He suffered the duration of his life upon this earth. You know there are things you can do as a Christian. God will forgive you. You know, here's, a, here's an area that I really want to talk about. And I'm going off this direction because I'm led of the Spirit of God. You know, you can do things as a Christian that can ruin your testimony in a local body of believers. Did you know that? And that would cause you to suffer in that local body. And then, I've seen this happen. People accuse those people of not forgiving. How many of you know that if I went off and committed adultery, had an affair, committed adultery, violated the plan of God, walked out against the will of God, if I truly came back to God with all my heart, how many know that God would forgive me? How many also know I would ruin my testimony and that I wouldn't be able to stand behind this pulpit effectively and preach to you what thus saith the Lord? How many of you know that? Can I blame you for that? Who did that? I did it. Was I knowledgeable of God's Word? Yes, I was. And you know what? Right here in this church, right here in this valley, right here in, in a region round about here, I would lose my testimony. I would suffer permanent damage right here. I believe that. I know that for a definite fact. If I got myself right with God and, and, and went, maybe went through rehabilitation, whatever it took for me to, to prove and demonstrate, then, then it's my responsibility to really prove. Because once you've lost integrity, beloved, it's the hardest thing to regain. I would suffer permanent damage as a Christian in certain areas. Does that mean you're not forgiving? No. It doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness whatsoever. You are forgiven, I am forgiven, and I thank God for it. But there will be some permanent damage in many cases because of certain things that have happened. And it doesn't mean that people are non-forgiving. As a matter of fact, I can show you in the, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, in the Amplified Bible, it talks about reinstating fallen members. See, these are things that have to be addressed. There are those that would have put some, some fallen leaders right on back into that position the next, very next day once they said, well, they asked for forgiveness and we had to love and forgive them. Beloved, love is, is not without... Proper governing. Love is governed by principle of God's holy word. And it's not a lack of love and it's not an unconditional love when you say, no, you've got to go through rehabilitation and there's certain things you have to do to show yourself. Look, if it took certain things for you to show yourself qualified to enter into a position, you know it's also necessary for a person to requalify for that position. Did you know that? And what if it took you two years to qualify for it? What if the only common sense that it was going to take you that and even more to requalify for it? And in some cases, people will actually have to go somewhere else if they want to be effective. You can lose your testimony in a church. You can lose your testimony in a state 
a county, a state. You can lose your testimony in part of the country if you violate the, the will of God. Are you forgiven? Yes, you are forgiven. But you've lost your testimony and your effectiveness. How many know that we teach by precept and example? And if you lose the ability to preach and teach by example, people are not going to hear a whole lot about your precept. How many of you know that? And you see, that's what happens. Now here, getting back to this. This man would have never lost his leg at all. Had he not gotten drunk and driven the car, had he never married the woman? He said, in here I knew not to marry her. But God could not prevent the things that were happening in his life because he knew in his heart he violated the will of God. Beloved, true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. They'll dedicate themselves in spirit, soul, and body, the total giving of the total self in pursuit of the attested truth of God's Word to see to it that they obey Him and are willing and obedient and keep His commandments and follow His judgments and His, His statements of fact from the Word. That's what a true worshiper is. And that's why there's no time to waste when you come to Jesus. There's no time to waste when it comes to pursuing truth. There's no time to waste. We need to put an all-out effort of diligent study in the Word of God to find out because it's the knowledge of truth that makes us free. There must be application. So he talks about that relationship. What we need is the fear of God. True worshipers, husbands and wives saying, Look, there's not a way out. I believe if that man would have realized his mistake and repented there, that God could have worked to some degree, but still there's certain things he's not able to, 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 to prevent from happening because the man did not follow truth knowingly. And mark that word, knowingly. And today I say the same thing. We don't need a thousand seminars. We need submission. We need husbands being submissive to Jesus Christ and loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And you say, well, what does that mean, brother? You know what? Put this right here in that book right there and you'll find out what it means. You don't have to go to a thousand seminars. Get on your knees before God and say, I give my body to you. I give my brain to you. Show me your love. Demonstrate it and He will. How do I love my wife? With the love that died for you. That's how. What would the family be like if husbands were treating their wives like the queen? You say, oh, that's, I don't believe in that. I'm from the old school. Listen, it doesn't matter what school. I'm from the school of the Bible. Right here, this book right here. In the beginning, there was a role reversal. We see Eve listening to the devil and not consulting with her husband. She took the place of authority and she acted instead of Adam. She did not take his, his, so she didn't reverence him, did she? And you know what happened? He became the follower. He followed her. She became the leader. He became the follower. What did God say from the beginning? You're the leader. She's the follower. What did she do? She led. He followed. Yeah, I just followed what she did. And when there's that role reversal, you know what happens? That's what happens. A fall takes place. Does he stop there? He doesn't stop there. In chapter 6, he goes on and says, Notice this, parents, this is where you walk. Parents and children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is a true worshiper of God. Fathers, see to it that you bring your children up in the nurture and that mission of the Lord. Don't neglect that. Because then you're not a true worshiper of God. 
You're not applying yourself in true devotion to God to do what is necessary to see to it that they know the ways of Jehovah. Let's go on. Verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. With what? With fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto who? Whom? See, fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with what? What's he talking about working out your salvation? God has imparted a new life in, in us. And he's saying it's on the inside. It's got to work its way out. It is a godly, reverential fear and trembling that moves, moves me, motivates me to do what? To serve where I work. Doing above, exceeding abundantly above what they expect of me. And I'm doing it with fear and trembling, not only in respect to them, but also in respect to God with fear and trembling because I'm not working just for that person who employs me. I am working for the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That's a true worshiper of God. And when I did that, I had people spitting into things I was working with. And I mean, it was a gross thing. But you know what? It didn't stop me. I wasn't working for them. I was working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, the boss came and would pat you on the back. But you know what? I was not working even for him. I thank God for his life. But I was working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was doing it with fear and trembling because I knew I served my master. Talks about the man. And notice this. I've got to get this in. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Everybody say, doing the will of God. Say again, doing the will of God. From the heart. From where? True worshipers of God from within will begin to do the will of God by setting their love and devotion, their will, their desire, their emotions upon Him to follow the truth as revealed in the Scriptures to us by the prophets of old and by the Son that came. These are things they never heard of. They never knew of. But he's laying down new rules. Verse 7, With good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them. And now notice the word finally in verse 10. Everybody say finally. This is where we stand. We sit in heavenly places... We walk in love upon the earth in relationships as we pursue truth and revelation. And are you ready for it? This is where we stand, finally. And that word finally means what's left to do. What's left to do. See, it's not all that difficult now. What's left to do? See, we've, we've magnified the devil. People have, have given the devil a wrong, an improper place. What's left for us to do is to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Take upon you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Do you see that? You know what I think many have done? They have removed all those scriptures in between. They want to sit in heavenly places and stand against the devil. Forget about loving wives and reverencing husbands and rearing up children. And all that's a bunch of nonsense and uh, just normal everyday blah, blah, blah. Who talking about? No, no. True worshipers of God, they long and desire to serve Him and to align themselves with His will and to demonstrate their love for Him by following His laws, His statutes, His judgments and commandments. And beloved, those aren't hard things. You can start saying, I'm going to love my wife like, love, like Christ loved the church today, right now. You can start saying, I'm going to reverence my husband as the head of this union, as the Bible says 
in submission according to the plan of God. You can start saying, we're going to rear up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord by precept and by our example. We will show them that we are committed people under the Lord God Almighty. You can say, I'm going to go to work with a fresh new attitude and a fresh new spirit about me today. I'm going to go in. I'm not going to complain and murmur like I always did in the past. I'm going to go in there. And it doesn't matter what I face. I'm not working for the person. I'm working for the Lord. I'm working for Jesus Christ. He has my will. He has my affection, my love, and my devotion. I'm doing it for Him. I'll do it heartily as unto the Lord. Hallelujah. And I will not complain. All those things. Why do we want to cast them aside? If I am an employer, then, then likewise, I'll treat people with respect. Then, beloved, then what's left to do? Stand against the devil. And you know what? Because you set your love upon me, I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you know the power of my name. You call upon me, you, the one who has set his love upon me. I will deliver you. I will be with you in trouble. I will honor you. With long life, I'll satisfy you. And I will demonstrate to you my salvation. That's what he said. That's what I want. Then all we have to be is a true worshiper. So what is worship? Standing around this altar lifting up holy hands? It's a part of it. But you know what? Much of it is meaningless if none of this is the motivating force. Do you see that? From within. All that ends up being then is coming to a place up the hill, Mount Gerizim, Mount Moriah, bowing down before a God that many don't know, and just doing homage and respect that way. But he says, I'm not looking for that. God is looking for true worshipers. And true worshipers are defined as being those who give their total lives and total devotion and total love and consecration, all their desires, emotions, and their will, all their energies and effort in applying themselves to pursue what is truth, God's attested truth, as He has so revealed it in the Scriptures, so that I could live my life and you could live your life in a way that is well-pleasing to the Father. That is worship of God. And then you know what? When those hands go up and He sees your heart, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Call upon me. I will answer you. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now. And I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.